Well, good morning. My name is Ash. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, Bristol. I have a question for you. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Now, oftentimes, you know, the, the usual suspects uh, tend to be thrown out. So someone will say, uh, I'd love uh, invisibility. Someone else will say it'll be super speed for me. Someone else will talk about the, the power of flight. Uh, well, the interesting thing is with most superheroes, there's, there's usually an event that occurs that brings about these powers. So there's a, a schoolboy in New York who's bitten by a spider and he becomes Spider-Man. There's a scientist that gets a burst of gamma radiation and becomes the Incredible Hulk. Well, I, I've had a, a quite a significant event in my life, probably not quite of that, that scale, I don't know. Um, and it happened to me uh, nearly three years ago and I became a dad. And the interesting thing about becoming a dad is that you, you, you discover all of these, these abilities and skills that you, you never really knew existed. Um, one of which is the ability to distinguish my child's cry from amongst many, many other cries. Now, babies and toddlers tend to spend a fair bit of time crying, uh, particularly when you place them in rooms with many other babies and toddlers. And oftentimes I've, I've experienced it where there'd be a cacophony of of cries and sounds coming from a room, maybe Evans with some of his, his cousins, and I can, hear, I can hear some crying, and I just have to slow down for a couple of seconds and just listen. Okay, that's not him. I can carry on doing what I'm doing. I've got the ability to distinguish his cry from many, many other cries. That would be my kind of dad superpower. Now, today is not so much about superpowers, but it is about power. It's about the power at work when we hear God's word. And my intention is that we will see that when God's word is received rightly, lives are changed miraculously. So we're going to look together at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through to 16. Uh, The words will appear on your screen as I read. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Well, if you followed along with our our Being Human series in 1 Thessalonians, you'll you'll probably be aware at this point that the, the, the writer of this letter is a man called Paul. He's a church leader. He's writing to a church in a place called Thessalonica. And his letter is full of praise and thanksgiving for this church in Thessalonica. You know, if this was a school report, they'd be getting they'd be getting gold stars all over the place. This church is doing really well. Paul has, has heard back some fantastic reports about them and he is delighted and he just wants to express uh, that back to this church. So given that this church seems to be doing so well, um, it's worth us considering what do we learn from this church in Thessalonica? What can we learn as a church? What can we learn as individuals? And what does this passage have to say about us being truly or fully human? Well, I believe that there are four lessons for us 
today, which we'll work through in turn. Now, the Book of Acts is a, is a basically it's a highlights read of the, the the early stages of the development of Christianity and the, the establishment of the first few churches. In Acts chapter seventeen, Paul and his his team they travel to Thessalonica to proclaim the word of God. Now, when they got to Thessalonica, there was a synagogue there. The synagogue was uh, essentially a, a Jewish worshipping community, a community that centred on uh, centred around the Old Testament scriptures. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. They they loved the Old Testament scriptures. They treasured the Old Testament scriptures, but they lacked one thing. And what was that? Well, let's look together at Acts seventeen verses two and three. Say this. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. You see, Paul proclaimed Jesus Christ to them from the Old Testament. Paul helped them to understand how Jesus really was at the centre of the Old Testament. He helped them to understand how Jesus was the centrepiece. He was the, the main character. He was the, the hero. But there's something else. In the Bible, Jesus is also described as the word of God. He is God's perfect Revelation, God's perfect message to mankind. You know, we often we often um, wonder and think, well, look, if if there is a God, how how is it possible that that a God, a perfect God, could ever be known, could be knowable? Well, God has made Himself known. He's made Himself known in the person of Jesus, and that reality ought to both shock and delight us. The all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise God has not remained hidden, but he has spoken to humanity. He has spoken to humanity in Jesus. And he's gone to such length that Jesus, who, who has existed forever in eternity with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, at one particular point in history, took on flesh. He became like one of us. And he lived among us. He lived on earth. He ate, he, he, he slept, he, he walked, he talked. It was God's message to us in a living, breathing person. That's what Paul did for the Thessalonians. He proclaimed specifically Jesus to them. Paul proclaimed the word of God to them. And that's the first lesson. The first lesson is that the the Thessalonians, they heard God's word. And I think this is really, really important, really significant, really significant lesson for us to learn. You know, a few weeks ago, Ali, Ali Kinnaird, part of the Fishpond site, he uh, shared with us on City Daily, he talked about um, the man called William Tyndale. And Tyndale was instrumental in getting the Bible translated into English. And um, Tyndale's driving heart, his driving passion was... He wanted every person in England, every man, woman, child, no matter how rich or poor they were, he wanted every person in England to have the opportunity to, to, to read or to hear God's word in a language that they could understand. Because up until that point, that was not possible. 
unless you uh, you know unless you you knew Latin or, or, or Greek or Hebrew, it wasn't possible. Others would tell you what God's word was or what God said, but you, you couldn't be sure whether they were telling the truth or not. But for you to read for yourself, that was Tyndale's driving passion. See, Tyndale understood that hearing God's word is serious business. Tyndale was so passionate that actually, eventually he became public enemy number one. Uh, the authorities were out to get him. And, and eventually he, in fact, lost his life because he wanted to give every person in England the opportunity to hear God's word. He suffered and died for that. But, you know, the, the, the delightful thing, and I'm, I'm getting a bit emotional even as I think about this now, is that he, he suffered and died for that. But, but we now, hundreds of years later, live in the benefit of that. We get to hear God's word in a language that we can understand. That is an amazing thing, an absolutely amazing thing that we ought to delight in. We ought to be absolutely joyful about. And it begs the question, does God have a hearing in your life? You know, I've got my um, iPhone, I've got a facility called Screen Time. And Screen Time will give me a breakdown of the different apps that I use, um, when I've used them, how long I've used them, how many times I've picked up my phone in a day. And screen time, I find a really helpful facility because just in a quick snapshot, it will, it will show me really where my priorities are, certainly in terms of the use of my phone. It will show me whether I, I spend more time um, on, on audiobooks or more time on email or more time um, just browsing the web. It will give me a breakdown. And the reality is that the, the data doesn't lie. And I, I personally find uh, screen time really helpful. Well, I think it's worth all of us doing a bit of a screen time check in terms of like what we are uh, listening to, what we are thinking about, what we are hearing, what we are watching, a kind of a screen time check of our own hearts. And I think it's worth us doing that. I think it's worth us considering, well, given, given that, that, that screen time, ear time check, well, does God's word have a hearing in my life? Where does God's word feature in all the things I watch and look at and listen to? And I say that because I believe that there is nothing of greater importance for life than hearing God speak. So again, I'll ask the question, does God have a hearing in your life? And you may be there thinking, well, yeah, kind of. Oh, I'm not. I'm, I'm not really sure, but I would love for God to have more of a hearing in my life. Well, I think that's, that's absolutely fantastic, and I think that's the track that the Thessalonians uh, were on. That this church were on is that they they had heard, um, but there was a hunger in them for more. And can I just, I, you know, I'm going to be really honest with you guys. That is a, a regular prayer of mine for us as a church: is that we would be people who are hungry to hear. God speak. We were hungry to listen to God, to hear and to receive his word. So the first lesson is that the Thessalonians, they heard God's word. The second is that they received God's word as God's word. And the fascinating thing about this is that Paul is not only thankful that they, he got a chance to, to proclaim Jesus. He's not just thankful that they, they, they stopped and that they listened. Paul is thankful for a little bit more. 
he's thankful, and this is in verse 13, that they accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. And I think that's an absolutely vital phrase, actually, for us to think about. Receiving it not as the word of men, but as the word of God, which it really is. You see, what Paul is describing is the reality that for the Thessalonians, they, they put God's word into a different bracket. Maybe, maybe in your home, maybe in your kitchen, you, you, there are certain things, I know, certain biscuits that are everyday use biscuits or, or, or chocolates or drinks that just, you know, you, you would have as and when. But sometimes there are specific things that you don't always pull out. There are special occasions. They're, they're in a different uh, bracket. They're, they're in a, a different cupboard. There are, sometimes they might even be under lock and key. I think that's kind of what Paul is getting at here. And the reality is, guys, we are, we are bombarded with messages, aren't we? There, there is constantly voices clamouring for our attention. It might, be, it might be the voices of other people in your home. You might be under lockdown. You might be constantly having people talking at you. Um, there are voices coming through social media and through the, through the news and through various means. There are many voices competing for our attention. But what Paul is getting at here is, is this thing of making a distinction between God's word and all other words. God's word becomes the most significant conversation partner. Now, I've, I've, got, I've got a really, what I hope is a really helpful picture for us. In many older or traditional church buildings, you'd often have a, a pulpit, a raised platform from which the preacher will preach. And there are logistical reasons for that. So I'm five foot six on a, on a good day. Um, you know, if I'm on the same level as everyone else, um, oftentimes it will be a, a difficulty for people to, to see or to hear me. Um, but it's more than just logistical. I think there's something symbolic at work. You see that the preacher is, is preaching from this raised platform and the people will often be um, sat lower down. And this isn't so much about the preacher and the rest of the people. It's not that the preacher is more important or, or more valuable or closer to God. It's not about a preacher. It's actually about God's word. It's a really powerful uh, symbolic picture of the reality that for the Christian, God's word is actually over us. You know, Christians of, of, of generations gone by would have talked about sitting under God's word. And what they would have meant by that was that, you know, we, we, it's not that we um, come over God's word. It's not that we determine who God is or what God says for ourselves. It's not that we are um, equal, <laughs> equal in authority with God. But God is the one who holds authority. There's a really helpful picture in the Bible where, where God talks about us as being like clay and him being like the potter. Well, the potter decides how, what he's going to do with the clay, right? The potter decides how he's going to shape it, how he is going to mould it. The clay does not talk back to the potter and say, well, nah, I'd rather be this way. Thank you very much. It's the other way around, isn't it? And I think this is what Paul is getting at with the, the Thessalonians. He's so thankful, so delighted that they have received God's word as God's word. They have received God's word in an authoritative way. Now, I'm aware that even as I've been talking about you know, God's word being up here and I've talked about authority, uh, many of us might have felt slightly uncomfortable. This, this language of authority and, and submission uh, might make us feel uncomfortable. And, I, and I'm aware of that. 
And I know that the reality is that all of us have either seen or experienced significant abuses of power or authority. So when we hear, when we hear about authority, our, our natural inclination might just be to step back a little bit and think, oh, I'm not entirely sure. It was all good when we're at the point where it was kind of like, well, you know, we're on the same level here as conversation partners. But when we're talking about God's word as having authority over me, I feel very uncomfortable with that. Well, can I put it to you today that not all authority is bad. And when we're thinking about when we're thinking about the authority of God or God's word, I think we ought to be asking two questions. Firstly, we ought to be asking, is this person good? And secondly, we ought to be asking, is this person true? Now, when the person is Jesus, the answer to both of those questions is an absolute yes, every time, 100%. He, in fact, is the definition of goodness and of truth. So therefore, to follow him, therefore, to receive his words as authoritative is, is not an oppressive thing for us. It's not something that's going to diminish us. It's not something that's going to destroy us. It's not something that's going to uh, uh, weaken us or hurt us. Ultimately, it is something that, in fact, will liberate us and will free us. It is something that will enable us to be, to be truly and fully human. We as humans were made to be in right relationship with God. We were made to be his sons and his daughters. We were made to sit under his good authority. He is one who wields his authority for our good. And I know for many of us that is really hard for us to get our heads around because the reality of what we see and experience in terms of authority and power is often far removed from that. But can I, can I encourage you that God uses his authority for good? And for us to receive God's word as God's word is freeing, it's liberating, it's something to delight in, it's something to be joyful about. Okay, so the Thessalonians, they heard God's word. They received God's word as God's word. Lesson number three, they were changed by God's word. You know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with a Christian heritage. My uh, my older sister became a, a Christian when I was uh, fairly young and um, she, she did something fantastic for me and she exposed me to the Bible from a, from a young age and just, you know, very, very gently, calmly, not in a forceful way, just gave me opportunities to read and to talk to her about it. The interesting thing was I, I, I lapped it up. I love the Bible. But I looked at the Bible a little bit like an academic or a, or a literature student. So I'm looking at it thinking, oh, yes, yeah, this, this is a really good plot. Um, some, some good characters in here. Uh, it's really well written. I, I like this book. Fantastic book. But I was looking at it from a distance. And in fact, my experience was a little bit like social media stalking. Um, now, for those who aren't aware of the, the, the phenomenon of social media stalking, for me, it, it was like I was... Um, you know, treating Jesus like someone on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. And I was looking at what Jesus was saying. I was looking at the status updates and the things that he was posting, but I was never really interacting with him or, or engaging with him. I was just looking on from a distance, a safe distance. And I was happy with that for quite a while. But then something happened to me. Now, I'd, I'd already become convinced from what I had read from the Bible that Jesus was good. Absolutely convinced of that. But then it really hit me. I thought to myself, well, if Jesus is true, 
if what he has said is true, then that has got to change everything in life. If the things that he's saying are actually true, why I can't just remain distant. I can't just kind of, you know, study him as if he's under a microscope. I've got to enter into this story. I've got to get to know this Jesus. I, in fact, need to place myself, with, you know, in such a way that actually he has authority over me. And that is what I did. I went from essentially stalking Jesus to meeting him in the words of scripture. Stalking to, to meeting, to being changed by him. You know, there's a, um, you know, one of the foremost uh, poets of our time is Jay-Z. And I think he phrased it really well when he said, um, first I had their ears, then I had their hearts. Well, you know, that, that was my experience. First, Jesus had my, he had my ears, he had my attention. I was reading the Bible, I was reading his words. But that eventually moved somewhere. It went from, from, from the ear, it went from the head to the heart. And actually, I received his word as authoritative and he began to change me. And he is still changing me. See, what happened and what is still happening is that I began to think differently. The Bible calls this repentance, and a new way of thinking, a new mind. I also began to feel differently. My affections, my loves, my desires were changed by Jesus. The Bible talks about how we are giving a, given a new heart and a new spirit. I also began to live differently. The Bible talks about how God has, has prepared good works for us to do in advance. He's given us purpose and direction in life. You know, for the, for the Thessalonians, and in fact for all Christians, um, part of the package is God changing you and I think this is this is kind of where the rubber hits the road um, many many of us um, I think many of us are fearful of this we're actually really fearful of of being changed by God and can I just say this isn't something to be feared but it is something to be embraced some of you have stepped away from life-giving relationship with Jesus it's kind of like you've 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 dipped in a little bit and then you've gone back to social media stalking. You've gone back to looking from a distance, maybe admiring his moral teaching, admiring the signs, uh, the miracles uh, and the wonders. But can I just say, when you do so, you, 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 you actually you do yourself a disservice. You are actually missing out. We are made for relationship with God. We are made not just to look from a distance, but we are made for intimate, close, communion, fellowship, relationship with God himself. That is what it is to be truly human. And when we step back from that, we ultimately end up missing out. Now, don't get me wrong. That's kind of where we start. That's where I started. If you're listening in today and you're not a follower of Jesus, that, that is a fantastic place to start. Just, just looking from a distance. You know, there's no kind of... There's no commitment there. You're not locked in. Feel free to have a look at Jesus from a distance. But can I encourage you that, that like, there's more to it than that? It's like the equivalent of, of looking at a restaurant from the outside, looking and thinking, oh, they're, they're having a good time in there. That, that pasta dish looks tasty. Well, OK, you can, to some degree, you can enjoy yourself from the outside. But there's something so much better on the inside. And that has been my experience. My experience of going from, you know, looking at Jesus, looking at him under the microscope 
to actually knowing him and actually being changed by him. And it is a good change, can I just say. He changes us for our good. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it is painful. But when God changes us, it is ultimately for our good. Some of you today are, are stagnating. You're stagnating in terms of your, your, your thinking. I talked about how I've had a change of mind. You might be stagnating in terms of your heart, your affections. You might feel cold. You might feel um, unmoved. Some of you are stagnating just in terms of the course and direction of your life. You are no longer taking steps of faith. Can I both challenge and encourage you that if you are stagnating in any area, that all that you need is found in his word. It is all there in his word. It's not just for you to kind of um, uh, just kind of uh, get, you know, get, get really excited and to change yourself. No, it is all found in God's word. God changes people by his word. It's described as living and active, sharper than any double edged sword. And I can tell you from experience, if you give yourself to listening, you give yourself to hearing God speak, you do it with a posture of humility, a posture that God is, is all good, he's all wise, he's all loving. When you receive God's word in such a posture, you will be changed. And I'm going to be really direct with you. When I, you know, I, I spend a lot of time praying for us as a church, praying that we would listen to God's word, we would hear God speak, that we'd receive his word, um, we would submit to his word and that we would be changed. I spend a lot of time praying for that because I believe that is how we are going to change. Our vision as a church is helping Bristol to believe. Well, I believe that's, this is a prime way that that is going to happen. So can I encourage all of us, can I encourage us to give ourselves to listening to God, to being the kind of church that listens to God, that hears God speak? Can I encourage us to be uh, the kind of church that not only listens and hears, but places God first in terms of that whole thing of being a conversation partner? We go to God and God's word before we go to anyone or anything else. Let God determine and shape your approach to marriage, to family, to money, to work. Let God speak first and let God speak loudest. But I'd like to encourage us into one more thing. You know, the, 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 the church in Thessalonica, um, they, they were changed. And Paul saw the evidence of their change in this. They, they like the other churches in Judea, they suffered. Suffering is a reality for the Christian. It was suffering for the Thessalonians. For the churches in Judea, it was a reality for Paul. It's a reality for Christians. In the midst of their suffering, they were joyful. This isn't a kind of a, a kind of a, a stoic thing of well, life was tough, but they just cracked on or they, or they put a Christian smile on things. This is a deep, uh, a, a abiding um, strength and delight in God in the midst of difficulty. They were joyful in the midst of suffering. And it is an authentic mark of Christianity worldwide, wherever you see joy in the midst of suffering. That's why Paul is delighted by these guys. He's like, look, I've seen, I've, I've seen the same thing. Other churches that I'm involved with, they have suffered and they are yet joyful. And now I've seen it in you. So for Paul, he's thinking, well, that is a clear sign that God is at work in you as a church. And that's not just for them back then. I believe it is for us also. 
that we can be joyful in the midst of suffering. If we give ourselves to, to listening, to hearing God speak, if God's word carries weight in our life, what will happen is, what will result is we will become a people, a church, full, a, a church full of people who are joyful in the midst of suffering. God takes the suffering of his people really seriously. These are very strong words that he actually uses here uh, to discuss the, 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 how, what he uh, thinks um, about the suffering of people. Paul says, Paul talks about those who drove us out and displeased God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. God will bring to justice those who perpetrate suffering. That's absolutely clear throughout scripture. God will bring those people to justice. God is passionate about nothing getting in the way of people hearing and responding to his word. You know, Paul says it here that those who, those who um, basically stop them from trying to proclaim the word of God were opposing both God and mankind. God is not pleased. He is not happy about that. He is passionate about everyone getting the opportunity to hear and to respond to his word. But it's just one more thing that I'd like to leave you with. Why and how can Christians be joyful in the midst of suffering? And that's a really big question, but I just want to leave you with this. Jesus has suffered more than any of us have suffered. He suffered a horrendous death, horrendous, torturous death on the cross, ultimately in our place, where we uh, ought to suffer for the wrongs that we have done, the sins that we have committed, uh, the way that we have rebelled against God. We, we ought to suffer everlasting torment, and the Bible says. But Jesus has stepped in. He has taken our place. Jesus has suffered more than any of us have suffered. Jesus has suffered for a reason, for a purpose, and that is that one day there will be no more suffering. He has suffered so that one day there will be an end to suffering. So as much as we, we recognize we might be in the midst of something at the moment, there will come a day where there will be no more suffering. It will end. It will absolutely end. It's a real and present reality at the moment, but it will end and Jesus will do it. I think that's why the Thessalonians were able to be joyful. They had their eyes, they had their perspectives uh, looking up and looking beyond. There will be a day when Jesus restores and fixes all things. And can I encourage us to be that kind of, that kind of church? I think if we give ourselves to, to hearing God's word, if we give ourselves to receiving God's word as God's word, we will be changed and we will therefore be those who are able to be joyful in the midst of suffering. Guys, I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have revealed yourself in Jesus. I thank you that you've made yourself known that you are not uh, separate, you are not silent. I thank you. Lord, that all of us can hear you speak. I thank you, Lord, that not only do you speak, but you change. You have changed me. You've changed my way of thinking, my way of feeling. You've changed my life. And I pray for each and every person tuning in at the moment, Lord, that you would bring about change. I pray that they would experience that reality of you changing their, their, their thoughts, their hearts, and ultimately their lives. Would your word carry significant weight in our lives as a church? Would we be those who look first and foremost to you? 
Guru be those who place a high, uh, high importance on hearing you speak. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the reality that we can know you in your words. And I pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.